is going to progress. We, we went through justification, and we spoke about adoption last week, and so today we are moving on to the topic of sanctification, and our home is going to be in Romans chapter 6 for this discussion. Romans chapter 6. And interestingly enough, it really is um, represented throughout the entire chapter of Romans chapter 6, this topic of sanctification. As we think about sanctification, it's um, helpful to realize that it has its roots in the Old Testament as God had revealed himself to them, and as the people of Israel were given particular sacrifices and particular blessings of knowing God, and God revealed to them that he himself is the God who sanctifies his people. That is, though God had given them many things to do as far as external rituals go, it was God himself that would be the sanctifier of his people. That word sanctify just means to, be, to make separate, or separate peculiarly to God's ends for his purposes. So when we think of sanctification, we ought to think, what has God intended, and why has God set us particularly apart from the world? What for? Why? And so as we think about being set apart, there has been, um, as, as we consider the, the range of use in the Bible for this word sanctification, it is, people have looked at it and said, well, sometimes it seems like the word is used in such a way that it's continuing. It's going, we're looking for it in advance. But sometimes the word is also used as if it's already happened, as if it's done, and we have no more to do. And so there has been, throughout church history, disagreement as to what this means. And some people have said, well, it must mean that for some people, they really have been sanctified in the past. They've reached that state of true holiness. And for others, they just haven't got there yet. And so for some people, it's in the future. For some people, it's already happened. This would not be fair, though, to the text, as I hope we will see. Rather, it seems as though God in his word reveals sanctification in two ways. Or one, we would say, in a definitive way. That is, there is something that has happened truly to a person that, by nature of that, has sanctified them from the world. And yet, there is still remaining sin, and there is something which ought to be set in front of each person as to pursue sanctification. And so, the reason why Romans chapter 6 is so helpful is because we see both of these things at hand. The word sanctification doesn't appear until the end of the chapter, but it is when we come to the end, we realize that this is what the Apostle Paul has been driving at the whole time. And so with this in mind, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 6, and first, our attention should be given to those things which Paul says have already happened in the past. So pay attention to what is past tense in chapter 6, and this will give us a clue to what we call definitive sanctification, something that has already happened. What does he say? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Well, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as, you were once, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And we'll pause there or stop there as we came to the term sanctification. And what I want you to pick up on is as we started in verse in, in the beginning of chapter 6, Paul was laying down the foundation of what has already happened to believers, those who are united to Christ. And as he lays that foundation, he's drawing a connection between the bodily death and resurrection of Christ and the way in which Christ lived and died and the way in which we also ought to live and die for Christ. And as he draws that connection out, he's pressing forward into how a Christian ought to live out their salvation. And as he presses into that, he says, truly this paradigm of death and life is pressing into or towards sanctification. Now present your members to righteousness leading to sanctification. And so what we want to do is look at those things which have already happened, which are definitive in a believer, which is the groundwork for sanctification. And before I do that, just because the term sanctification doesn't appear in Romans chapter 6, I want you to see that it is used in the scriptures in this way, in a past tense way. So um, you can hold your finger in Romans 6 just for a second, or you can, you can listen to me. I'm going to read a couple texts. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. Acts 26 and verse 18. And I think I might have wrote down uh, the, wrong, uh, the wrong text here. Nope, there we are. Okay, so this is, this is the words of Christ. All right, Starting, we'll start in verse 6, or uh, let's start at the beginning, so we, verse 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen, you have seen me, and to those in which I have, I'm sorry, 
the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness for sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so the, the point of what we're looking at here is just to say Christ himself has said that there are those who are definitively sanctified by faith. Also, let's look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right at the beginning of the book, and then we'll go a little further in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. I'll just read a little bit before that. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one who boasts boast in the Lord. That is, Christ is, for us, sanctification, positively and In chapter 6, you'll see how he appeals to this. Chapter 6, verse 11. He says, what what has Christ done for them? He's talking about, um, he says, "Or, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but what? You were that way, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so the point of these texts really is just to say that Christ himself is our sanctification, and sanctification is truly something that has happened in the past for us in one sense. So let's focus for a moment on that sense in Romans chapter 6. What are the things that are listed that have already been done. Well, if we went through and looked at it, we would see in verse 1, he says they are dead to sin. They have died to sin, past tense. In verse 4, they have been buried with him. Verse 5, they have been united with him, that is with Christ. Verse 6, they, he was crucified, right? He was, but so are we. In verse 6, as it says, you know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 7, He, this person, or these people, have been set free, definitively. Verse 18, if we skip ahead as well, it says, in verse 18, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. So in the past tense, you have become a slave. And so, while we want to distinguish between justification, that is what God has definitively declared to be such for our righteousness, and sanctification, that is, our continuing on into a holy life, we also need to realize that sanctification is initiated or is absolutely begun and is definitively accomplished for us in Christ. He is our sanctification. So while the two things are different, it is also true that in justification, in being truly declared righteous by God, that righteousness is actually ours, And if that righteousness is ours, then truly we have begun to become like Christ, our Savior, definitively at that moment. And so 
we want to see also that not only is this objective, but it is also subjective, that is, to a person. Notice in all of these cases, he is talking about particular people. You were this way, right? If we think of, um, I believe it is, it might be, I'm going to forget the reference now off the top of my head, but when it says in, in Scripture, it says, you were washed, you were sanctified in Christ Jesus, right? So this truly has happened, not just generally, not said some people were washed, some people, no, you have been washed. So it is personal and it is real. But this leads us to then, after sanctification has begun, how does it then progress? Or the idea of progressive sanctification. How do we continue on in sanctification? And we see this when we look at chapter 6 and we take notice of those things which are continuing on or those things which are commanded of us. But I want to pause for a moment and notice the paradigm that is presented to us. Again, it is Christ in his death and burial and resurrection which not only initiates and has definitively accomplished for us that sanctification, but is that paradigm that we are constantly told to look to and to look at for our continuing sanctification. Look at verse 10. And 11, as Paul has mostly laid out what has happened in the past in verses 1 through 7, he talks about Christ and how Christ has died and had been raised again. And then he switches. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. That's the paradigm. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is, if we are to take definitive sanctification and progress on into sanctification of Christ, we must consider ourselves this way. We must. It is required of us that we would consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, in considering this then, what does he say? After considering ourselves dead, what else are we to do? He says we are to present yourselves not as slaves to sin, but as slaves to righteousness. That is, consider yourself and present yourself. These are two imperatives that we are required to do. And why? Well, as we have already seen, this leads to sanctification. This is pressing us on into sanctification. So this is the fact of, this is the fact of sanctification as it progresses. But what is then that pattern of sanctification? How does it progress? Well, this is where we see that the great um, dynamic of both mortifying and vivifying, or mortifying and making alive. And this starts again with that paradigm. First, consider yourselves dead. And when we consider ourselves dead, then what are we to do? We are then to put to death those things which we are dead to. This This is how we think about sin. I'm doing something that is wrong, I know I have sinned. How do I consider myself? Am I a slave to that? No. God has said, I am dead to those things. Therefore, what do I do? I consider myself dead to sin. And I put it away. It is to be mortified. But then what? Then we say, and what? We renew our grace, or we we pursue a particular grace and holiness in Christ. That is, we present ourselves to Christ as instruments for righteousness. So this is the pattern of progressive sanctification. It is to mortify and then to make alive. 
It is to put something to death and then to bring to life or to cause to um, flower what God has already planted in us in terms of life. And this is repeated over and over in the Christian life. We are always, always being put to death in our own body that is dying really to sin because Christ himself has died to sin. And then we are being made alive. We are presenting ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. This is what it says in verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Nope, that is to be put to death. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now as Paul brings us into consideration of law and grace, we ask, what is the means of sanctification? How does God sanctify his people? And the, the understanding that we have is that God sanctifies his people by two means. That is, by the word and by the spirit. By the word and by the spirit. Now, the word is not just what tells us what is right and wrong, but is also that which declares freely grace to us in Christ Jesus. And so as Paul then begins to labor about law and grace, he says, he asks the question, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? We understand his thrust here. He's saying, well, if, if the law is not, necess- is not my taskmaster anymore, condemning me before God, then I, if I have no condemnation, sin is open to me, Right? And Paul says, no, you misunderstand. What does he say? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? What's the point here? Well, if you are presenting yourself to sin continually, to be a slave to that sin, what is he saying? saying you're deceiving yourself. You think you're a slave of Christ, but you're a slave to sin. Clearly. But if you present yourself to righteousness, you are a slave to God, to righteousness. So then, does this mean that in sanctification, when we sin, we show ourselves that God is not, um, God is not our God? Well, no, this is where 1 John is particularly helpful, if we remember. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, right? Nevertheless, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, these two things, the Word and the Spirit. Some, some proof texts, if we want to turn there quickly to see Word and Spirit as it is laid out. Um, John 17, 17 would be a good point to realize this connection in terms of the Word. How does the Word sanctify us? Starting verse 16, this is, of course, Christ and his high priestly prayer. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. See that separation? Then what? He prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself 
that they may also be sanctified in truth. So this is to declare the means that we spoke of the word. The word of God in its truth truly does sanctify his people. And God is using this word then progressively to sanctify him. So if we are to pursue sanctification, we are to pursue righteousness by grace through faith in Christ. And this is the means that God has ordained to put into us that love for what is righteous. This is how we are shaped and presented, or we present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness, if the word of Christ dwells in us richly. And how about the Spirit? Well, let's look at the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. The doctrine of sanctification is broad, and you can hardly turn to a page of the New Testament without seeing it unfolded, but these are particularly helpful proof texts because of the way the terms show up close together in the verse and help us to see um, quickly what the truth that is being um, talked about throughout the Scripture is. So the book of 1 Thessalonians, starting in chapter 4, actually, we're going to see two uses of this. Again, in the context of sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. So this is the progressive sanctification of God that he is speaking of. And as we turn to verse 5, I can't read my own writing, chapter 5 and verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So this is is the progressive sanctification. And I believe I I pulled you, I'm sorry, I was looking for texts that specifically drew our attention to the Spirit's work in sanctification. And these are generally texts about progressive sanctification, but the word Spirit does not come up. And so I apologize for that confusion. I hope you see that that's there, but in Ephesians, I think this is where I am intended to bring us. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 3, yes, Paul says, starting in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so in this passage, we see that this sanctification is particularly brought about or wrought in the heart by his spirit with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in you. And so through his word and through his spirit, we are brought into fuller knowledge of God, fuller knowledge of his love, and thus we are pressed on into sanctification. Therefore, as we look at this from a, from a confessional standpoint, we haven't read it yet, but in paragraph 13 of this um, confession of Baptists of old, 
they have spoken of sanctification in this way, and this is no different than, um, than our brothers and sisters from the Westminster Confession. It says, They who are united to Christ, effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, are also further sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, that's definitive, and the several lusts thereof are more and more quickened and mortified, weakened and mortified, that's the mortification, and they are, that is those people, are more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces, that is to make alive. And what is the end of this? To the, pract- to the practice of all true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And it's interesting here, they point us finally to our last text in Hebrews 12, as they quote essentially word for word what is quoted in Hebrews 12. So we'll turn there as we close and open up for questions. And this is the necessity of sanctification. Not only is it definitive and not only is it progressive, it is necessary. That is, without it, as we have already said, there is great deceit in our own lives. If we think we can be slaves to Christ and truly under grace, and yet we can go on sinning willfully, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And this is what is being spoken of. There is truly a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And we know this holiness is first wrought definitively by Christ, and yet we do progress on into this holiness. Otherwise, our faith is not a living faith. So Hebrews 12 I'm speaking, turning at the same time, verse 14 is where this is quoted from. I'll read from verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And we've turned to this passage many times, even in our present situation, as we, as we reckon with this striving for peace and the importance of no root of bitterness growing into our hearts towards our brothers and sisters. Why is this what is most important this time? It's not because this is some magical way by which we're going to see and obtain a wisdom that we don't have, or everything, or life is going to be easy. But it's because there is a real holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And there's true danger in times like these when we let something grow inside of us that will grow and bloom that we may fall away from our faith. And we know that there there is much grace in God to restore us to what he has called us to. But would we presume on God's grace and say, I have no need for this sanctification to which God has called me? Because that does not come from a heart of faith. That comes from a heart of unbelief in God. And so sanctification is the duty of every Christian to press on into and to pursue in holiness. And we, we fail. So next week we'll, we'll talk about sanctification, Lord willing, if, if God permits. We'll continue to talk about sanctification, more particularly in how do we work that out in our own lives? How does it ebb and flow? Does that call into question our faith? Of course, it does not call into question God's work.
towards his people. Um, but we'll discuss that. Any questions in the last five minutes about sanctification as it's two, uh, as it's two ways it's talked about, definitively and progressively? Okay. Well, if not, I'll close and we will uh, prepare for morning worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have justified us and adopted us and sanctified us. Lord, we ask that you would continue to sanctify us in your word. We know your word is truth, and we know your spirit is what strengthens us in the inner being, that we may know the hope that God has called us to and the depth of the riches of the knowledge of God, the love that we have in Christ Jesus. So we ask that you would particularly renew our hearts and our minds, give us a hope and help us to press toward sanctification in and through the trials that you have presented to us, Lord. May we not think that God has tempted us to do evil, but rather understand that God has given us particular providences that we may trust him and press on into him in righteousness and love. Lord, help us to strive for unity and peace. I ask in your name. Amen.